Hi, this is Debbie Taylor-Williams. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so glad you're here and pray the Lord will speak to you through this message. We're certainly seeing how God uses the different gifts that each of us have in the body of Christ. And even your presence here is a gift to us this morning. Let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer as we begin our study of Acts 9. Join me, please. Oh, Heavenly Father, it is so good to call you Father, Jesus Christ. Lord, it is so good to call you Lord and Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence with us and in us. Lord, we pray that we would learn through the example of Paul of Ananias, of Barnabas, how we can be your servants. We want to serve you well for your kingdom purposes. Jesus, I ask that you, you teach the lesson. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Open up your Bibles. If you don't already have them open, we're looking at Acts 9, 1 through 31. You have your listening guide for those of you who like to fill in the blanks as we go along. We are seeing today how Saul is converted. He is changed from persecuting Christians or persecuting Christ, in fact, when he persecutes Christians, to being Christ's witness. Jesus used the house of Judas, he used a Goso Ananias, and he used an encourager, Barnabas, for his kingdom purposes. And I hope if there's one thing that you take away from our study of Acts, it is that God wants to use you. Whether it is you opening your home like Judas did, whether it's being an encourager and bringing someone to church or to associate with other Christians like Barnabas did, or whether you're an Ananias whom God calls to speak up and speak boldly for, even though you may be fearful at first. I pray that we will each take away how God still wants to use us today as we see he used people in the time of Acts in the early church. Now in Acts 9, 1 through 2, we're going to see that Saul breathes in and he breathes out his anger toward followers of the way. Let's go ahead and read together in Acts 9 as a reminder and a refresher, uh, beginning with verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly... Light from heaven flashed around him. And we'll stop there as we look at our very first point. And this first point that we see is that what we breathe in, anger, hostility, frustration, what we breathe in, what we let come into our very being, whether it be the political climate, whether it be 
being upset with a relationship, whether we don't like things that are how they're going in our lives, that which we breathe in, we also breathe out. And Saul, there's a very important point here. Saul is still so angry that these disciples who were following the way of Christ, he is so angry that they can do injustice to God, that they can start some heretical message in church, that he is fuming. Have you ever fumed? Have you ever just felt like you could tell that you were fuming about something or it was boiling right underneath you? And this is how Saul was to an extreme degree. But we also need to remember that after Jesus' resurrection, before he ascended, that he breathed onto the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And friends, that is what you and I need to do. This is our take-home point. As we look at the political climate, as we look at things going on in our world, this is our breath. This is what we breathe in. And this is what we breathe out in our words and our communication with other people. Would you just hold your Bible up to you right now, please? And just breathe it in and say, Lord, help me breathe it out. That is who we need to be. Our second point that we see here is Paul, Saul at this time, refers to believers as the way, people who belong to the way. Look at your friend or your neighbor and say, do you belong to the way? It is not a way. It is not one of many ways. It is the, it is the way. There is only one way to God, and that is Jesus, and that is why it is so important that we take acts seriously and we be proclaimers to other people of the way. In Acts 9 through 7, we'll continue reading. It says in verse 3, as he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus, and this means he was almost right there. It, it doesn't mean he's midway. He is getting really close to entering the city and to doing what the zealous good religious person intends to do. Now, you have to remember that Saul was raised in Tarsus. It was a city, a Greek city that was comparable in its universities to Athens. It had a university that was acclaimed throughout the area, throughout the world. He was a Jewish son who'd been raised most likely in a wealthy family. And he had excelled, and he tells us over in other passages later that he was zealous and he excelled far beyond his other countrymen. After he graduated from the university, he was sent to the School of Divinity in Jerusalem. He completed the School of Divinity. He is a very young, wealthy, vivacious, energetic person. And he is almost there, almost entering Damascus, where he can bang on doors, just like the Taliban did in Afghanistan to try to find Christians door to door. We're going to find you. We're going to capture you. We're going to drag you out of your home. We don't care if you're a woman or a man. And we're going to bind you. And we're going to take you back to Jerusalem. And we're going to throw you in prison. He is all 
most there. It happened, however, that suddenly, say that word with me, suddenly, suddenly, light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground. We know in other passages, Paul recounts this, a testimony in Acts 22 and Acts 26, and the others also, they just fell to the ground. It was just a lightning flashes fall to the ground. And suddenly this light flashed, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice, as did the others who were traveling with him. But it tells us in another passage, they weren't able to distinguish the words, but they heard a voice. So here are these men that were witnesses. They heard a voice. They saw the lightning flash. And he heard this voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Now, in the Bible, when a person's name is used two times, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, Saul, Saul, this is an attention getter. It is an attention getter. It's, he's not saying it one time, Martha, Martha. Stop clinging to me. It is an attention getter. It's a personal word. It's a call to heed what is getting ready to be said. And he said, who are you, Lord? Because at this time, when a voice was heard from heaven, it was obviously acknowledged as not being an earthly voice, but rather being a heavenly voice. There was no explanation. There was no other voice. They weren't in a busy city. There wasn't a microphone playing. It came from heaven, as did the lightning flash. And Jesus answered and said in verse 5, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And in Acts 22, 8, it tells us that he adds and he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. And I think he showed him his hands. It doesn't say that in the Bible. But by that lightning flash, I can't help but think that Saul is looking at the divine, resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus. And can you imagine? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Everything everything that he has believed in is gone. I want to share with you from the book, The Blood of the Lambs, Kamal Salim records his conversion experience from being a Muslim. He was here under ill will for America to infiltrate colleges and, and try to get people to become Muslims and he had a bad car accident. He hated Christians. He was raised to hate Christians. But at some point after he had been lovingly cared for by Christian doctors and being allowed to stay in their home and reached healing, one morning he was healed and he was back at his apartment and he said, I wanted with every particle of my soul to believe Islam. I did not want to believe that I had committed my whole life to a lie that I had killed for a lie. This was Saul, wasn't it? He said, in my apartment, there was a place I prayed, a window facing east. One morning, not long after I moved out of the Christian's home, I fell on my knees there where the street, sun streaming into my face, my heart desperate within me. I raised my hands to heaven and cried out, Allah, my Lord and my King. He goes on and he says that he cried out to Allah to speak to him. 
to let him know that he was real. He said, they hear their God speak. I want a relationship with you, he calls out to Allah. But the room rang silent. I want to hear your voice, Allah. I want to hear you love me. If you're real, speak to me. I poured all my hope and faith into my prayer, but there was only silent stillness. A deep sadness engulfed me. My whole life had been a vain masquerade, empty and void. There is no place for me to go. There is nothing left for me. And his mind skipped to where he had a gun in his apartment. He went to get the gun. But before he did, he heard a voice. Kamal. The Muslims believe in the God of Father Abraham, and so do the Jews and Christians. Why don't you call on the God of Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? The voice was so strong, so powerful, so real. And I knew I would never have thought such thoughts on my own. Terrified not to listen, I rushed back to the window and fell on my knees again. I cried out in a loud voice with every fiber within me, God of Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you are real, speak to me. If you are real, I want to know you. Then, for the first time in my life, a miracle happened in front of me. The window brightened until its frame disappeared. The entire room was flooded with light. In this light, there was overwhelming peace and joy. My heart left within me because I knew it was the light of God. Who are you, my Lord? I cried. A voice spoke in my heart, I am that I am. What does that mean? I called out. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I have known you since before the foundation of the world. His response, Kamal Salim's, my Lord, I will live and die for you. The experience that Saul had on the road to Damascus continues. Would you say a loud amen? There are accounts of Muslims who, especially during Ramadan, when they are crying out and seeking Allah, but in sincerity, they are seeking the Lord. It has been recorded of accounts of a man in a white robe appearing to them and them becoming Christians. Friends, this account is not only for us to read a historical account. It is for us to pray for our enemies. It is for us to know that the most hater of Christianity can become a converted person and how we praise God. We see our third point that Jesus acts suddenly, and I want you to be encouraged by that. We saw him acting suddenly in Acts 2, 2 when suddenly the Holy Spirit and fire descended. We see him suddenly on the road to Damascus. He can act suddenly in your life or your unsaved loved one's life or the cruelest person in the world. He can act suddenly. God can act suddenly. Pray, God, Jesus, act, act suddenly. Pray that. Why not pray that? He hears your voice. We need to be reminded in 1 
Thessalonians 5.3, that he is going to suddenly come, that the day of, Lord, the day of the Lord is suddenly going to come. You can read that scripture and learn more about that. Now in Acts 9, 8 through 9, we see the Lord tells Ananias to go to a street called Straight to the house of Judas and lay hands on Saul who is praying in Acts 9, 8 through 9, our fourth point. And that is that in the three days that Saul was physically blinded, he gained what? He gained insight. And I want to encourage you, I speak from personal experience. When we, when I have done bad, wrong things, anybody in here? And there is no way to go back and fix it. Anybody in here? We need to be quiet so we can think, process, confess, learn, and ask Jesus for help to move forward in his will. Can I just see a show of hands? How many of you can say, I've had that experience and God was faithful to show me how to move forward. Oh, that's such a testimony. And friends, you know, sometimes I think when we try to share Christ with others, maybe what we try to do is just share the rosy and, the, and all the good, fun things. And sometimes we may just need to sit with a person who does not know Christ, who is going through a hard time, and be honest and say, you know, I'm aware that you, you know I go to church and I'm a Christian, but can I tell you something? I haven't always lived. For Christ. I haven't always done this life so, so well. I have made some major mistakes. But can I tell you that that is why Jesus is so important to me? Because he's a Jesus who loves. He's a Jesus who forgives. And if you ever want to know more about him and how you can experience fullness of love, fullness of forgiveness, fullness of a second start, I would love to share how you can have that relationship with them. Maybe sometimes we need to share our vulnerabilities, our past. Would you agree that that might be an entrance point with someone? And even today, if you're there, even today, if you're there, use the silence because Saul spent three days and nights fasting. He knew he had had a divine encounter and he wanted to get everything out of it that he could. So he didn't eat. He didn't drink. He was in total darkness, total silence with God. He certainly must have been processing his upbringing and everything he had learned and all that he knew of the Torah and trying in his mind to figure out how did this Jesus of Nazareth that, that lived here, that, that was crucified, how is he here? Oh, there was some serious talking and praying and, 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 and then the overwhelming guilt that must have flooded his soul. I stood there and watched Stephen be stoned. And I've put other people in prison and killed other people. Oh, there was some soul searching going on. Soul searching is good. Soul searching is good. There's that picture. Do you see that little green round thing right there? That is an app that I have on my phone called Find My Friends. How many of you have it? Not very many of you. It is one of my favorite little things because at any time I can go to that little app and I can see where my husband is. 
Yes, I can find him. I know if he's getting gas. I know if he's still at the courthouse. I know if he's at Tractor Supply. I know if he's left the ranch or not and is on his way home and is on, on I-10 about halfway home. I know where my husband is any time. I also know where my sister is. She's allowed me and we, we can find each other. You have to ask permission to be on somebody's phone where they can find you. But I can see where Linda is. Do I want to run by and say hi? Nope, she's at Walmart. I know where my friend, my husband Keith is, and I know where my friend, Linda, my sister is. God in heaven, Jesus in heaven has an aerial view by my friends. He knows where you are. He knows the road you're on. He knows your address. He knows if you're not home. He knows if you're at Walmart. He knows your name. He knows your street. Do you love that it says here, as we continue reading, that in verse uh, 10, there was a disciple at Damascus. We've got a city, and we've got a person's relationship with Jesus described, named Ananias. God knows your name. And the Lord said to him, God talks. Jesus talks to his friends and to those whom he is calling to salvation. Ananias, and Ananias, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me. Remember? And Ananias says, not, who are you, Lord? He was already in a relationship with Jesus. He says, instead, here I am, Lord, as in I'm available. And the Lord said to him, verse 11, I love this. We keep seeing these words, get up and go. That's what the angel of the Lord said to Philip to send him to the Ethiopian eunuch. So those words with me, get up and go. Okay. Could you hear a word from the Lord this morning? Get up and go. Go. Be his witness. Be his mouthpiece. Go. And he has a street named. He knows if you live on Myrtle Drive or what street you live on, go to a street named Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus. He knows where Saul was born. He knows where he's from, from Tarsus, named Saul. He knows what he is doing. You and I may not know what Saul is doing in those three days, three nights, but he tells us Jesus knows what Saul is doing. He sees him praying. Jesus sees you when you are praying. Does that just make you tickled? Jesus sees you. When you are praying, oh, we serve a mighty, fine Lord, a mighty, fine Lord. And our sixth point is that divine appointments happen when we are a trusted disciple. The Lord knows he can call on. Do you have somebody that you know you can call on and they'll be there for you if you need them? Are you that to Jesus? Are you that to Jesus? Now in Acts 9, 13 through 16, we see Ananias questions Jesus about the danger of going to Saul. And our seventh point is that Jesus doesn't get angry when we talk with him. Conversations with Jesus bring insight and comfort. It is okay to say, oh, Lord, are you sure? Yes, it's great if we're a Philip, just immediately go so. But Ananias is also a go-so, and he had a good reason to ask Jesus about this.
Our eighth point is Jesus chooses by name who to use for heavenly assignments. I would love to just be able to sit down with each one of you because I know some of you very well and I'm getting to know others of you. I know he uses you for divine assignments. Be sure that at some point in your discussion group or just with a friend, you share with each other divine assignments. Judy Stevens shared this morning how after she had returned from a mission trip uh, in the past year, she had felt prompted that she wanted to go back and, and, and further uh, do work in Africa. Is that right? Did I say Africa the first time? Okay. And God's opened that door for her, right, Judy? That is an exciting thing. Judy knows that he called her. I thought maybe I was supposed to go on that African mission trip, but it turned out I wasn't. God has specific people. This is so exciting for you and me, friends. Our ninth point is suffering for Christ is part of the disciples' experience. And we will see this over and over. And it's almost like in verse 15, when the Lord is speaking to Ananias, he says, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he has to suffer. There is no doubt that Ananias knew, as did the other disciples, how he had watched uh, Stephen being stoned and others. And in Acts, I'm sorry, in Second Chronicles 11, we see one time Paul shares about some of his sufferings. And he said, Five times, in verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Do you remember when Jesus was lashed before his crucifixion? Paul was strapped to a post and lashed 39 times. was one of the times when he went back to Tarsus and told his mother and father that he was a part of the way now and he tried to witness all of each of those five times are not recorded in the bible but can you imagine how after he has gone through that the first time and he is dragged the second time to be put to the lashing post and he is willing to suffer he's going to have it again those straps on his back and he goes again and he continues to share christ because the Lord in him is a fire burning. But there's another group, and they grab his hands, and they tie him to the lashing post. Oh, we are soft Christians in America. Would you agree? I don't think the Lord would say, shame on you. I don't know. But I can certainly read accounts like this, and I can think, shame on me for complaining any inconvenience, maybe a little lack of sleep for needing to study longer. Oh, bless my heart. Maybe you having to get up earlier to complete your questions. Oh my, can you bear it? It's time for us to stand up, straighten our backs, do what we need to do to be a devout follower of Christ. In Acts 9, 17 through 19, we see Ananias lays hands on Saul, not to put him in prison, 
not to strap him to a post and beat him. He lays hands on Ananias that he might receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, friends, put your hands on a person and pray with them. Put your hands on their shoulder and tell them you love them. When you use your hands as the hands of the Lord, there is something that can happen with the touch of the Holy Spirit flowing through you, touching another. It may just be your hand saying, I'm praying for you. That simple. That God might be able to use. We see that Paul, Saul regains his eyesight. We see also, in addition, that he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And we also see in verse 18, as the scales fell from his eyes, he regained his sight and he got up and he was baptized. Ananias told him in verse 20, in chapter 22, 16, this is what you can do. This is what you should do. Be baptized. And he was. We see Jesus uses go-so runners for his kingdom purposes. And we also see our 11th point is that a person's choice to be baptized is their outward profession of the Holy Spirit's inward possession. Read that with me. A person's choice to be baptized is their outward profession of the Holy Spirit's inward possession of their heart and identifies them as one of Jesus's disciples. We are seeing this is the mark of the church, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the identification with believers of the way through the act of baptism. In verses 20 through 22, we see Saul immediately proclaims and also proves that Jesus is the Son of God. Oh, it's so fantastic. All this knowledge that he has accumulated. He is now getting it that Jesus is the suffering Messiah and he cannot help but speak. And that is our 12th point. A spirit-filled Christian overflows with Jesus who is in their heart and their mind. In Acts 9, 23 through 25, we see many days had elapsed and the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so they might put him to death. They didn't want to arrest him. They wanted to kill him. They had to quiet him. They had to quiet him. He was on in Damascus, which is the oldest city in the world, most people acknowledge. And it was primarily put right there with the crossroads of nations. They had to stop Christianity right there before it spread. They had to stop it. It could not go on. It could not go on. It already spread from Jerusalem to Damascus. It had to stop. They had to kill Saul. And so here, their plot became known. Verse 25, his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a huge basket. I just have thought so much about Saul. The proud, the pompous, the wealthy, the best dressed, the most knowledgeable, the one who had the zeal more than any of his companions, graduated from the university, graduated from divinity school. What's going to happen? Can I trust these people who are lowering me over the wall? 
How do I know there isn't going to be an ambush for me the second I am on the ground? And so Saul begins his walk of faith in humility and in obedience. And we see our 13th point, humility, not self-willed pride is the way of a disciple. In verses 26 through 31, Saul, after speaking boldly for Christ, is sent to Tarsus again to escape death. I know you've covered so much of this in your small group study, so I'm not going over every bit that you've already thoroughly discussed. But our 14th point is that an encourager is a vital part of the life and growth of the church. Be one. I got a sweet note from Peggy a few weeks ago, and I was kind of, I was kind of just I'd had so much going on. I was kind of having trouble juggling my ongoing ministry responsibilities with Hill Country Ministries and also this blessed addition of getting to be with you. And I was just feeling this little, I don't know what it was. And all of a sudden I stopped and got the mail and I opened this up, Debbie, just a note, a note of encouragement. Be an encourager. Every one of us can be an encourager. Our 15th and last point is the church is built up when we go forward in the fear and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 9.31, we see the church has spread and it has a time of peace. It increased as they went forward and we see the spread of it on the map. You've got maps in the back of your study. I want you to note that the word Lord is the theme of Acts 9. It's used in all of those verses. Verses 1, 5, 10, 11, 13, 15, 17, 27, 28, 31, 35, 42, depending on your version. And it means ownership, master, supreme one. It describes Jesus as the one to whom a disciple belonged. Belong. Say that word, belonged. If you're a disciple of Christ, you belong to Jesus. He is to have absolute authority, ownership, and power over you and deciding what goes on in your life. Here, here is our closing question. If you would please write it at the bottom of your listening guide where it says, how has the Lord spoken to you or how has the Holy Spirit spoken to you? This is a question. Personalize it. Write this down. Have I surrendered my life to the Lordship? of Christ, where what he says you do, it doesn't matter how you feel, what you want, what you're thinking, you do it. He's calling you this morning to his absolute lordship. Will you say, yes, I surrender. All. Heavenly Father, I pray that each of us bows before you, Lord God Almighty Jesus, the Nazarene, resurrected, ascended Lord, that we bow before you, our Lord, that we stand after bowing before you for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to be your errand girl on earth. <sighs> oh, how I love you, Lord Jesus.
You are so sweet. You are so good. You will always be with us wherever you send us. I love you. Amen. See you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about how to grow in Christ or to be saved, visit www.debbietaylorwilliams.com. Connect with me on Instagram at Debbie Taylor Williams. God bless you.